This episode is brought to you by my good friends at Huzo. Huzo is an acronym for human sound. Huzo delivers uniquely enhanced human toning sounds through headphones as well as through pads placed on your major acupuncture meridians on your body, which are your wrist and your ankles, thereby introducing a specific modulated frequency that are balancing and harmonizing throughout your body. One session takes about 30 minutes, and during that time, a strange series of tones create a natural resonance in your body that Huzo claims counteracts the harmful EMFs, toxins, and stresses you are exposed to during the day or just normal living, all while balancing the body, leaving you with a clear head, improved health, better sleep, and the feeling of calmness and well-being. You can try one at www.thisishuzo.com slash rebel. Use the code rebel25 to save $25. The folks at Huzo even have a great payment solution for you with terms up to 12 months. Check it out. I highly recommend this machine. It has changed my life and calmed me out. Thank you and enjoy this episode. Because the most important thing about all of these addictions we're talking about, whether it be to food or to a substance, is again, identifying that root cause and getting help for it. And I know when you get the help for it, you'll be able to make the changes that you want to make in your life. Welcome to the Rebel Health Coach Podcast with Tom Underwood. Armed with truth and knowledge, your journey to a healthy lifestyle can be obtained. Preventative wellness, quality nourishment, and daily fitness routines dramatically improve your outlook on life as a whole. And you'll find the support and info you need to accomplish a healthier lifestyle here. Together, we can empower each other along our journey to an amazing you. Well, welcome to the Rebel Health Coach Podcast. Today's guest, I had the pleasure of sitting down with Dr. Carolyn Coker-Ross. She is known for bringing creativity and wisdom to her work and for offering hope to individuals and families struggling with addictions and eating disorders. She is an internationally known author, speaker, and expert in using integrative medicine for the treatment of eating disorders binge eating, compulsive overeating, and addiction. She is board certified in preventive medicine and addiction medicine and is a graduate of Andrew Wells Fellowship of Integrative Medicine. She consults with treatment centers around the United States who want to include her unique integrative medicine approach to treating eating disorders and addictions. She is the author of three books. The latest is the Food Addiction Recovery Workbook. Dr. Ross is the CEO of the Anchor Program, an online coaching program for people with compulsive eating, emotional eating, and binge eating disorders. And this is a very important topic and not very well touched on in society. So I hope you enjoy this episode. And if you know somebody that suffers from food addiction of any type, please refer them to this podcast. Thank you and much love, Tom, the Rebel Health Coach. 
Oh, Carolyn, welcome to the Rebel Health Coach Podcast. I am so grateful and glad that we're finally able to do this episode. And yeah, thank you for having me, Tom. Yeah, I thank you for your patience waiting with waiting for this. <laughs> I think it's been over six months for sure. Yeah, that's okay. Well worth it. Yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad. I'm glad you're here because this is a very uh, needed topic and mm -hmm. uh, very overlooked. I agree. But before we dive into this topic on eating disorders, I have to say go blue. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll say go blue too, since okay. I went to med school there. <laughs> yep. University of Michigan Medical School in the awesome town of Ann Arbor. A great little town. It is, for sure. I enjoyed my, my years there, except for the weather. <laughs> yeah. yeah, the weather's hard to do. I think you know, they had the biggest snowstorm in the history of U of M when I was there. I was going to say, you were at U of M the year that I was in pre-pharmacy school at Big Rapids at Ferris State. Uh -huh. And that was the winter, that snow was in the January of 78. Yeah. And they closed down the med school for the first time, I think, in 100 yeah. years. <laughs> they closed down... Fair state for a couple of weeks because yeah. we're what week or about a week, yeah, because it was so bad up there. And uh, I remember jumping out the third floor window into a snow drift and having to dig out. Oh my goodness, you yeah. were a risk taker. Yeah, I it was just fun. I just remember cross country skiing to the grocery store. Yeah. That <laughs> that was yeah. my level of risk. <laughs> yeah, so that was a good time. Mm -hmm. And uh, so you. What's the university? You went to medical school at the University of Michigan. Yes. And what was the catalyst that drove you into this world of eating disorders? Wow, that's a good question. I I think I had mainly been mostly interested in working with women, and when I had my women's practice, I always saw you know problems with weight, problems with eating issues. And I, I became, I was invited to be the medical director at a place in San Diego back in 93. And that was my introduction into serious eating disorder work. And I just found that I really enjoyed doing it. I know a lot of people think, oh, how could you do that? It's so hopeless, so difficult. But I really enjoyed being able to work on a deeper level with people because they were in crisis. So they were more willing to kind of look at some of the things in their lives that might have been causing their problems. And that's how I got started with it. And then after I did a, I did a fellowship with Dr. Andrew Weil in, mm. uh, at the University of Tucson and then took a job full-time as the head of the eating disorder program at Sierra Tucson. And that's when everything else kind of fell away. And I just really focused on eating disorders and addictions from then on. So that's what. You, so that's it. You've been. That's where you've been concentrating that, your time. That's where I've been living. Okay. For that's a long time. a good time. place to live. I, I mean, there's probably not many people out there that concentrate on that market. Yeah, I think there are more nowadays that it's become more publicized, and there seem to be more therapies that people think will help with eating disorders, and there are more treatment centers as well. But it's still. You know, kind of the stepchild of medicine. All of the mental health uh, right, disorders right. are really the stepchildren of medicine. Hmm. Well, your book is very good. The Over Overcoming Binge Eating Disorder in the Compulsive Overeating Workbook. Thank and you. I enjoyed yeah. it. 
And it's interesting because I am an addict and always probably will be an addict to something. Mm -hmm. And I remember back on an episode of Johnny Carson. I'm going to date myself a little bit for the youngsters out there. That, But Johnny Carson was interviewing Mel Gibson, who was fresh out of rehab at the time. Uh-huh. And Johnny asked Mel, what are you addicted to? Mm-hmm. And Mel's response was, what do you got? <laughs> yeah, that speaks to that notion that, you know, sometimes whatever the personality is or the genetics or the underlying cause of addictions are, the substance is of less importance than it is that underlying cause. Right. And that's why, for example, people who have bariatric surgery to lose weight, they have weight loss surgery, often end up being uh, becoming addicted to alcohol or drugs or sex or gambling um, because it, that underlying cause has not been addressed. Valid, very valid point. And I think that goes for many addictions as if you don't get to the root cause, you're not going to fix the problem. Exactly. And I know you, you mentioned that, um, you know, your struggle with addiction, but, you know, a lot of people who have been in the military, and I think you said you were in the Navy before, right. um, you know, they're that issue of PTSD or exposure to trauma, whether it be through the military or through other things, you know, for women, I think it's one in five women have been raped in, in America. Oh my goodness. Yeah. And so any kind of trauma, especially trauma that occurs uh, under the age of 18, puts you at much higher risk for uh, things like eating disorders, obesity, addictions, even attention deficit disorder can be put in there. And it actually, especially if you're younger, uh, like under the age of three, uh, changes the hardwiring of the brain. And mm. so it makes it difficult to really put an end to, like, how do you put an end to binge eating disorder? Well, if you can identify the root cause, then, you know, there's a there's hope that you can put an end to binge eating disorder. Hmm. What's interesting, uh, first of all, I love the quizzes and exercises in your book, mm-hmm. there's a lot of good ones in there. And I think this is a good book if, it, if you have anybody or even yourself that's addicted to food. But I think with the food we have today is more addictive. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I think some of the manufacturers start putting stuff in there to make us addicted to those foods. Well, everybody knows whether they be in the food manufacturing industry or even you know, the lay public, there are things that that work on the brain better than others. And so what what you're referring to are foods that trigger the release of dopamine in the brain from the dopamine reward center. And we know that sugar does that, fats, you know, do that, pleasurable activities, anything that gives us pleasure can theoretically become addictive. So it's not uncommon that food manufacturers will put, you know, Foods that make sugar, sugary foods become addictive or the combination of sugar and fat or salt uh, in the foods. And, you know, that's that's a, just something that we all need to be aware of because those foods are, if you eat them without any kind of moderation, those are the foods that can, you know, cause you to crave them and become more addictive. How do you know if you're a food addict? 
Yeah, well, I think that you have to really understand what, how do you define food addiction? That's right. the question. Because I personally don't believe that food itself is the problem. I think that it's that root cause that people have that leads them to use food in an addictive way. So some people are even calling it eating addiction now um, because, you know, it's so just like not everybody who drinks becomes an alcoholic, right? Right. So not everybody who eats uh, sweets is going to become a sugar addict either. So it, it goes to who we are as people and how we use food. And if we use food, to deal with our emotions, to deal with those pains from the past, to maybe deal with the, the results of trauma in our lives, then you can you know, have an eating addiction or become addicted to uh, those certain foods. But it's not about the food. In any eating disorder, from my point of view, it's never about the food. It's about how we use the food. Okay. Okay. Just like... Uh, any addiction, there are consequences for our for food addiction. Sure. And what are some of those consequences? Mm -hmm. uh, because food's not illegal, so it's not like drugs. Right. So what are some of the consequences of food addictions? Well, what, what I see is, first of all, let me just give you some of the symptoms that my patients talk about. And those okay. are obsession with certain foods. Like they think about it a lot. They don't feel that they could eat those foods without getting out of control. So that feeling of being out of control is a central symptom of binge eating disorder and also a food addiction. And then, you know, the preoccupation with weight and shape, feeling bad about yourself because you, you know, overeaten or binged. Those are the things that I hear. Now, most people would say, oh, well, what's the big deal? You're thinking about food. Well, I'm saying that my patients tell me that 85%, 75% or more of their time and energy and thoughts is taken up with concerns about food and body image. So that doesn't leave very much time to be present with your family, to do, mm. get your work done. To, and there's also just a tremendous amount of emotional distress associated with these disorders. So feelings of embarrassment and shame, it can be socially isolating. Uh, people don't want to eat in front of other people because of fear of being judged or being embarrassed about how much they're eating. So it really does take a complete toll on your life. It kind of takes over your life and you don't ever feel like you can sit down to a meal and enjoy it and be at peace. Does that make sense? That does make a lot of sense. Yeah. And got to be tough. I mean, I mean, we live in a society today that, that is very... Food-centric. Food-centric and also very... You know, conscious of our looks. Exactly. And I mean, like the kids in school that I know you and I, you and I both know that obesity is starting at a much younger age. Right. And when they get to school and then we start getting picked on. Yeah, they're being bullied. And there's a, there's a, just a tremendous amount of weight stigma in, in our society, which is really sad because. Uh, you know, some of the people that I work with started being put on diets when they were five years old. So they've really never known any freedom without having to 
think about something before they put it in their mouths. You know, it's like, should I eat this? Should I not? They've always had that thought. And so that that whole weight stigma is driven by the sense that there's only one ideal size for right. a woman to be. And now it's starting to invade the world of men as well. Now you're seeing men even either endorsing the thin ideal or men who are endorsing kind of the, you have to be muscular and they're taking steroids to do that. So we're seeing an increasing number of men with eating disorders as well. But in women, it's only one ideal. You have to be thin. And if you're not thin, then you're not okay. You're not part of the in group. You're not, you know, you're, you're a victim to be bullied, uh, et cetera. You're not okay. And, you know, to think of little five-year-olds who are already being put on diets and little children as young as three who are weight conscious, it, it's just, a, you know, it's shocking to think that in our country, women are being, it's, it's a sort of abuse in a way, um, you know, that is, mainly leveled at the females in our society. Right. And I mean, it's, it's, I think in my opinion, it's kind of good to see some of these bigger girls coming out and doing some modeling. Yeah. Because yeah. It, it, it takes that out of the picture a little bit and says, okay, it's okay to be you mm-hmm. in a world where you're supposed to be this. Exactly. And, and I, that's the body positivity movement. And I fully endorse that because I think you can be whatever you want to be, no matter what right. your size, including being healthy, no matter what your size. It does take, take, you have to take care of yourself. So just like everybody else, but you can be healthy. And many people who are living in larger bodies are being told that in order to be healthy and happy, that they have to be thin. Right. And that's just not okay because it sets you up for, you know, a lifetime of dieting and being on the diet tra- treadmill and never right. being happy with yourself. I agree. And I, I also, I know from my aspect, I used to weigh almost 290 mm-hmm. and I lost, uh, you know, I'm down to 180 and I've kept it off for over, uh, over 10 years now, well over 10 years. Good for you. But it's, I know that from my point, it was not really a food addiction. It was more of a comfort. Right. And and actually, food addiction is a comfort for people as okay. well. So you so so example, you take, you know, I have some of my clients who were abused or neglected when they were children. And then they grow so as part of that, you form a belief that something's wrong with me. You know, I'm not okay. And then you get older and you're heavy and people start bullying you and that compounds that trauma. And again, you have all of these emotions of feeling I'm not okay. I'm not worth it. I'm worthless. Nobody will love me, et cetera. And that's where people start to eat, to suppress those feelings. And so food then becomes a way to help yourself feel better, at least temporarily. Right. And that's what I mean when I say that's how we use food. And if you don't, so you can be on a diet and lose weight. But for many people, if they don't deal with the trauma they've experienced, then the weight will just come back. And then they, that's what I mean when they say they go on the diet treadmill, lose weight, gain weight, lose weight, gain weight, without ever addressing that underlying root cause. Very good. Very good. Yeah. Yeah, You know, what's interesting is that, you know, I was very unhealthy at the time. 
And and I actually was diagnosed with a, a disease that actually killed my father, which is metabolic syndrome. I'm sure you're familiar mm. with that, but sure. Uh, and I was really, you know, I looked in the mirror and said, you know what, I'm going to change this myself. My doctor actually looked at me like I was crazy when I threw all five prescriptions in the trash. Mm. And I said, he said, what are you going to do? And I said, I'm going to fix this myself. But it, it also being on that road, I do know some of my flags. Mm-hmm. So like, and I'm going to give you an example. Like when I was up in, we we're talking earlier about me being up in Michigan and getting my mom settled in a nursing home. And, and uh, I have to say, man, I have to say in Michigan, I was there for three weeks and I saw the sunshine maybe twice in three weeks. Yeah. Right. I remember that. So it's, it's, I can see being up there and putting myself in the shoes of people that live there, that it's very hard that time of year to not eat. To not eat for comfort. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Because you're not getting comfort from the outside because it's cold Mm -hmm. and it's gloomy and doomy. And and people, a lot of people have what they call seasonal affective disorder. So if they're in that darkness, their mood goes down as well. Right. And it's not easy. It's it's easy to do Mm -hmm. because that that gloom and doom just is like, I got to get back to Atlanta, man. I need to get back (laughs) to the sunshine. Yeah. You know, because, and you live in San Diego. So, I mean, we're we're both in pretty healthy areas of the of the world. Yes, but I, you know, I work with people all over the world, and right. I see, I do see the impact because I, you know, I have the online program for binge eating disorder and compulsive reading and food addiction, and so I get people from, you know, the Middle East, all over the United States, Canada, et cetera, and particularly in Canada, you know, there's a lot of problems with the weather. Oh. And seasonal affective disorder, just like in Michigan. Right. So it's really important to recognize. You call those your flags, I think you said. Right. It's really important to know yourself and recognize what are the triggers that will help make you start craving comfort foods. Right. And if you can identify those triggers and then, you know, come up with a plan to help you deal with those, that really helps. And it's, I have to say that. It's really hard up in Michigan to not have. It's hard to come. I mean, because you don't want to go outside. Yeah. Because it's freezing. And it, it, and I was up there. We had one snow the whole time I was up there. But the other times there was no snow. It was just cold. Yeah. And it's like, you know, snow is pretty and fun. Mm-hmm. But with this cold and nothing to do, it's like you're going to just sit in front of the TV with and no snack. activity. You yeah. almost have to force yourself to do something. Yes, exactly. And that becomes a harder point. Yeah. So, yeah. okay, I want to talk about childhood a little bit because I, one of the, in, in my practice, I've ran across one instance where this young lady was bullied in school for being overweight. Mm-hmm. Then she flipped mm. and she went the opposite direction of the spectrum to almost bulimic. Mm-hmm. So, does that happen a lot? Yeah, 50% of people diagnosed with an eating disorder will go to to a different eating disorder in their lifetime. So they may start out as anorexic and then become bulimic or they may start out as bulimic and become a, you know, binge eater. So 50%. So that's yeah, that that is pretty common okay. that they will go to a different eating disorder throughout their lifetime. 
because she wasn't eating at all. For I mean, her parents were like, "What do we do?" Mm-hmm. You know, I, I was like, "You know what? I'm not equipped to handle this." Mm-hmm. And I found a place where they could go, and she's good now. But it took a while to get to the root cause of of why she flipped and why yeah. she wasn't going to put food in her body. Right. It basically boiled down to the bullying and the parents not being present. Yes. So she didn't have anyone to support her during that difficult period. And that's a really common story because I don't think many, you know, I had a, a parent come into my office with a teenage girl who, you know, could have been, been at high risk for anorexia because she was being bullied for being too thin, interestingly. Um, and, and I think she was just growing into her body, but you know, people were putting so much pressure on her that it was starting to affect her anxiety level and her mood. But the parents really didn't realize how serious the bullying was. And they didn't realize that she needed to be taken out of that environment, you know, if at all possible. So I think a lot of parents think, you know, well, it's a hard time. Maybe we'll get her a little therapy. But bullying lasts a lifetime. I cannot tell you how many of my clients who have binge eating disorder or food addiction or bulimia or anorexia have been bullied as children. And that has stuck with them throughout their lives. Huh. So where does trauma fit into this picture? I mean, yeah. you talked about trauma a little bit, but where does it fit into this picture of, of becoming what either going either way? Yeah. Well, that's a great question, Tom, because the Centers for Disease Control and also you probably remember here in San Diego, Kaiser Permanente. Right. Well, Kaiser started a study, which is now being, has been called the Adverse Childhood Experiences Study. And they basically were able to uh, prove essentially that the more adverse experiences you have as a child, the more your risk is for obesity, uh, eating disorders, addictions, and so on. Plus, 40 other medical conditions like heart disease, cancer, diabetes, and so on. So trauma, they were able to show that trauma in childhood has a direct impact on your risk for these mental health issues, including depression and anxiety, as well as eating disorders, as I mentioned, but also affects your physical health as well. So, and that was, that's been a shock to the medical world to think that something that happened when you were three years old would then change your health when you were 40 years old or right. 50 years old. And they've been able to, to show some, some interesting ways in which it does. One is that there are changes in the expression of certain genes that they've been able to prove in animal models. If you traumatize these little you know, mice traumatize them and then they become parents later, their children carry a change in the genetic expression that's related to that trauma. Mm. And that goes on for five generations. Wow. So, and th- so they studied back in the 60s, uh, families, descendants of people who survived the Holocaust. And they've been able to, again, see that trauma coping mechanisms, whether it be what we call psychic numbing, which is one of the ways in which we use food to numb our emotions, or it could be addictions, or it could be just you know being emotionally shut down or overprotective, that these, again, have an effect on 
generation after generation after generation. And they've studied it up through, I think, two or three generations after the survivors of the Holocaust. So even though the grandchildren of those survivors had never experienced the Holocaust, and some of them didn't even know very much about their grandparents' experience, it had an effect on them. And many of them developed the same kind of coping mechanisms and or developed depression, anxiety, eating disorders, and addictions. So trauma is really a central component, especially for eating disorders and addictions. Mm. And the trauma could be the the adverse childhood experiences study looked at, you know, having a parent who has been uh, a victim of violence or a parent with an addiction or a parent with a mental illness, being abused either physically, emotionally, or sexually, being neglected. All of these, and I think there were a couple of others, I'm not thinking, oh, separation, parental separation uh, or divorce. So they studied that in over 17,000 people. Hmm. And so now there is that link between childhood trauma under the age of 18 and your risk for eating disorders, addictions, and other uh, medical diseases. That's interesting because we, yeah. we live in a society where other people get divorced all the time now. Yeah. So that would be one case, right. as they call it, one early life adversity. And that probably isn't going to make or break whether you become, you know, whether right. you have binge eating disorder. But let's say if someone gets divorced and then they're also, uh, you know, as, as is very common, abused by the step parent and then they're bullied at school and then something else happens. Now you're up to four or more. And so two thirds of American households have one adverse childhood experience and one in five have three or more. Early life adversities. So that's what I'm saying. These things are common. They're not rare. Right. We're just not talking about them. Right. And then when you look at trauma in previous generations, which is called intergenerational trauma, like survivors of the Holocaust or uh, military families where the dad comes home or the mom comes home with PTSD and how that affects the children and Mm. so on. Then you're looking at, you know, a lot of, you know, early life adversity for our children. That's interesting. Yeah. And now I know the, why. Now I understand why you got into this because this can go really deep. That's the point. It goes really deep. And when we we try to treat binge eating disorder, when people do binge eating disorder treatment, and all they offer is lose weight or go on this diet, you're not dealing with what's really the underlying root cause, as you said, and that's what's important to deal with. And, and, you know, it's, it's difficult people, it's for, it's very difficult for people to address some of these things, but we have so many therapies now that really work to help people get through that. And what they find on the other side is that freedom from the obsessions, freedom from being so, you know, at the mercy of food, of being so out of control with food and they get their lives back, which is, that's why I'm in this work. Because I see people, just like I see people with opiate addiction who get their lives back. Mm. And that's what makes me get up in the morning. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Because we, <laughs> we need more of that. I mean, we all, it was something I was thinking about when I was reading the book. And, and I think this applies more so today than it did when we were growing up as children. Mm-hmm. Is this, uh, because, you know, when we, you and I grew up, grew up Usually it was a working father. Right. 
The mother stayed at home. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, children in today's society, for the most part, a majority of them have a mother and father who are both working. Correct. And I, I see this in, you know, I see this in restaurants a lot and with children is when it's like the pa- the Pavlov's dog thing mm-hmm. where the parents are using a food as a reward to their children. Yeah. Be quiet. Eat this cookie. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that's, that's really gotta, common. And that's got to bring a whole, that's like a dopamine nightmare. <laughs> wow. Can I steal that term? Sure. I love that. Yeah, It's a dopamine nightmare. You're so right because the brain gets used to feeling that pleasure from the dopamine spike of eating the cookie or eating the cinnamon, Cinnabon, you know? Right. And then it wants it. So it makes sense. And especially if there has been trauma, because now the brain has changed and it's not producing as much dopamine as it used to, or as someone who doesn't have trauma, then of course the brain is going to start craving those things that make it feel good. But then, yeah, like I said, though, it it just keeps going. Yeah. It's like, okay, where's my my food? Where's my treat? I did this and you gave me a treat, but now you're not giving it to me, you know? It starts this whole, it's like a snowball effect. And then it just compounds as we get older. Yeah, absolutely. It definitely does. And and that's why it's so important to take a moment to really identify the underlying causes. You know, I, I hear so many stories that just stick with me. You know, like I remember a little girl whose mom died when she was five or six. And mm. she went to live with her grandmother. and. Her mom, she and her mom used to bake cookies together. So that was a fond memory for her. And so when her grandmother would buy cookies or bake cookies, she would sneak in at night and, you know, eat the cookies in the pantry. And her grandmother would get so upset with her and, you know, yell at her or spank her or whatever, when all she was trying to do was remember her mom and feel better. Mm. And if there had just been an understanding of that connection between the cookies and her mom's death, she wouldn't have spent the next 40 years, you know, being, you know, obsessing about food and, and, and being on diets and all of that. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. That's a- so you can feel that, how that would feel for a little child. Absolutely. To not have the words to say, I miss my mom or I'm sad or I feel this. And then being, you know, criticized or disciplined for those feelings, those very actions which were related to those feelings. I hope that you are enjoying today's episode of the Rebel Health Coach podcast. I am taking a minute to interrupt the show. Sorry about that. But I need to do some general housekeeping for the new year. Are you sick and tired of being sick and tired? Are you frustrated you can't lose weight no matter what you do? Are you tired of taking handfuls of medications every day and still feel horrible and tired? Is that you? Well, then I have four open spots available for the first quarter of 2020. And all you have to do is book a free 20-minute consultation with me to discuss yourself, what your issues are, and 
We can talk about if I can help you. So all you need to do to book that 20-minute consultation is go to my website, www.thomunderwood.net, tomunderwood.net, and go to services at the top, scroll to the bottom of the page, click the link, and schedule a free 20-minute consultation with me to talk about you and to see if I can help you and also to see if we're a good fit. Let me help you get off that roller coaster, get off that hamster wheel, and lose the weight and feel optimal in 2020. Thank you, and enjoy the remainder of this show. Our food is so addictive these days, and companies like Oreo know it. You know, it's like, okay, <laughs> nobody's going to eat just one Oreo. No. Yeah. Or, or the I tell you, and one that always comes to mind in, in the spring is the Girl Scout cookies. Oh my goodness! Yes, talk about a dopamine nightmare. Yes, oh. <laughs> they're so good, especially uh, those thin mints that oh, you put in the man. freezer and you eat. You know, <laughs> you know, I I've come to the conclusion I just give mine to the military now. Yeah, because that way I just like okay, here, here, send six boxes to the military. Yeah, because I, it it is a dopamine nightmare. It you, is. you cannot just eat one. I, I remember one year I bought 17 boxes oh my God. of cookies. And I I said to myself, you are such an idiot because you know you can't. Like cookies are my thing, you know. Right. I, can't, I can't just leave them in the freezer without eating them. And the next year I, I just vowed, you know, just walk away from the Girl Scouts <laughs> or give them away to right. somebody else, you know. That's I really appreciate right. doing that program for the military. Yeah. Because it makes awesome. it a lot easier to just say, okay, I'm gonna order I'm gonna order from your child, but so give my boxes to somebody in the military. That's awesome. Yeah, that's but, a great yeah, because otherwise I, I know that I'll get a, two boxes in my house and I'll eat I'll, I'll eat the whole box in one day. Yeah, yeah. I have little. I have little uh, discipline when it comes to cookies. So. Yeah, cookies and <laughs> my mine is Ben and Jerry's Chunky Monkey. Oh, you're a Chunky Monkey person. Oh, oh my goodness. Yeah. And now I've got. Now I allow myself one pint a month. Yeah. Just like okay, this is my reward for the you know I'm yeah. doing the Pavlov dog thing. Tom, you've been good. Mm-hmm. And you can have a pint of Chunky Monkey on Sunday. Well, you know, there's really no problem having treats. There's really not right. even any problem with eating because because you feel bad or emotional eating. The problem lies when you when that's your only way to right. cope with your life. That's where the problem comes in because all of us eat emotionally. You know exactly. I mean, they did a study after nine eleven and showed that you know people on average were eating. You know, I I don't know how many more calories, but mostly comfort foods. You know, things like peanut butter and mashed potatoes and so on. And, and that's because everyone felt bad, and that happened across. That was an in, that was a national uh, episode of emotional eating, and that's fine. But if that's your only way to cope, then you're stuck. You get stuck in that. Okay, so Doc, where do we go from here? We have, you know, I, I'm familiar with AA and NA. Mm-hmm. What about, is, is there a food addiction? You know, there really, there is a food addiction uh, anonymous group. There's a couple of them. My only concern is that uh, some of them, like 
that some of the Overeater Anonymous groups recommend a very, very strict diet. It's, you know, no white flour, no sugar, mm. et cetera. And some people are able to stay on that kind of diet and that's great. But uh, it seems like, you know, I get a lot of people after they've not been able to stay on that diet. So again, I think we really have to address the root cause. The reason I wrote the three books I wrote, the one you read on binge eating and compulsive overeating, and then the emotional eating was my second one, workbook. And then the third one is the food addiction recovery workbook. I wrote those in a workbook format because they actually take you, like you said, the exercises take you through the same things that I do with my patients. And I even started uh, online on Facebook, I've started a book club where we pick a book and read it. And and I do like a session on Zoom with people who want to read the book. So I think the books are a great resource. The 12-step programs for many people are a great resource. You know, getting therapy with someone who is, is a specialist in eating disorders is also helpful. There are many ways to, to heal and to go into recovery, as you know, right. even for addictions, not everybody does one thing. Yeah, I, I, my big problem was with, uh, with AA and NA where that people uh, just found new things to be addicted to. Yeah. Well, and that that speaks to what I'm saying. If you don't deal with the root cause, you just move from, and as we were talking earlier, the bariatric surgery people who, women who become addicted to alcohol or sex or gambling Mm. because they've never dealt with the underlying cause. So let's talk about your anchor program. What is the anchor program? The Anchor Program is a, an online, non-diet approach to binge eating, compulsive eating, emotional eating, and food addiction. So we, you know, I have an online content on, you know, that people can access with videos and uh, workbook exercises and meditations. And then once a week in the Anchor Program for twelve weeks, we meet on Zoom and, you know, have a group. So you get the group support, you get the knowledge, and you get someone who can work with you to help you identify and deal with the root cause of your binge eating or food addiction. And after the um, 12-week program, we go to a six-month program, which is less intensive, but gives people the opportunity to really put into place what they've learned. Because everybody is used to going on a diet for a few months and then they stop the diet and what do they have? They have nothing. Uh, and they end up going back to the same old ways. So the six-month program, you know, you're in your life, you're dealing with stuff and you can bring that to the group and discuss it and have accountability and also learn new skills for coping. So that's the anchor program. And I think you you have the web address. It's going to yep. be in the show notes. Yep. The web address will be in the show notes. Your website will be in the show notes, Anchor Program, Facebook page for you. Yeah, definitely be in the show notes. Do you see a lot of people, especially with anorexia and and, uh, bulimia, do you see a lot of those people changing for the, in a a short period of time or what's the time frame for? Yeah, just like addictions, this is a, it's a long-term process. You know, most people who develop binge eating disorder have been 
having problems since they were kids. Okay. So obviously it took them 40 years to get where they are, 20 years. It's not going to be an overnight process. So that's why in the anchor program I mentioned to you, we try to continue to support people. I worked with one anchor program group for five years in Denver. And it was awesome. It was the most incredible experience for me as a physician to see what it really takes for people to make lifelong changes. And it was, I think, incredible for them as well to see that it was possible. You know, you don't, when you've been on the diet treadmill, you don't think about like how many years you've spent dieting and how much money you've spent. Right, right. And often people will object, oh, you want me to do this for six months? It's like, well, you know, how many years have you been doing the other thing? It's right. going to take time. It's going to take but it, but it is possible. I was at a conference recently, Tom, and I had the most incredible experience of running into a woman who I had treated when I was the head of the eating disorder program at uh, Sierra Tucson. And so that had been 15 years before, and she was struggling with bulimia and also a, an addiction to uh, a substance. And she came up to me and she said, told me how well she was doing, showed me pictures of her four children. Uh, talked about her, you know, career and her relationship, and yeah, I mean, things weren't perfect. There were still some issues she was working on, but she was doing really well. And that's hmm. the kind of thing that, if you stick with it, you know, that you can change your life. And she was happy, which was the most important thing to that me. That is the most important thing. Yeah, and that's rewarding for you. Oh my gosh, it was so because she was one of my favorite patients. You know, as soon as she told me her name, I was like, oh my goodness, I think about you all the time. I mean, I have, you know, I, we just had a long relationship. Even after she left treatment, she would check in with me and I'd talk to her by phone. And, but I hadn't talked to her in over 10 years. And it was, it was incredible to see how well she was doing. Wow. How long have you been doing this? Oh, you're going to age me now. <laughs> I've been I've been uh, devoted strictly to eating disorders since 2004. Okay. So that's 15 years. Okay. Before before that I did um women's medicine in okay. San Diego. I had three women's centers. But I've worked in residential treatment centers. I've worked in you know, what they call partial hospital, intensive outpatient and so on. But I really like the online space because I can work with people from all over the world. And also for them, they don't have to drive through snow to get to my office or, you know, any of the other. Yeah, traffic. That's the other one. And I have the ability to work with them as long as they're willing. That's good. cool. Yeah. And you can work from you can work from wherever you're at too. Yeah, exactly, exactly. As so, long as you have a good internet, you're good. Yeah, that's right. Well, I, I I really love this book. I actually went and ordered the first your very first book, which is Healing Body and Mind and Spirit: Integrative Medicine Approach to the Treatment of Eating Disorders. Oh, did you? Okay. I just got it in the mail. I actually uh-huh. got it from a library in Denver. Oh, wow! Because I couldn't find the new copy. It was all used copies. Oh, okay. On yeah. Amazon. So I actually ordered it because I was really, this is an interesting subject because yeah. being an addict myself, it's it's hard to, and you know, I shift my addictions, you know, not, I, I work out probably way too much. Most, mm-hmm. most, most of my friends will tell you that. And even my functional medicine peeps are like, Tom, there's a reason your cortisol levels aren't 
our, <laughs> our issue because you work out too hard and too much. Yeah, yeah. But so that's, that's something we see with eating disorders too, compulsive overexercising. Yeah. So, but the one book you might be interested in is the Food Addiction Recovery Workbook because okay. in that it talks about the whole dopamine situation. Yeah, which, see, now that's an interesting cascade there. Yeah, and, and uh, I, I actually had somebody on uh, Facebook who got the Food Addiction Recovery Workbook and used it for treating his sex addiction. And he messaged me and ordered like, I think a thousand copies. I can't remember how many. Wow. A lot of copies because he wanted to give them out to people, people who uh, come to his gym because he felt that the principles that I talk about in the food addiction book, book worked for his sex addiction too, gave him a different understanding. And I think that's true. When you understand dopamine, right. it helps you understand all the addictions. So. Right. And, and I, yeah, right. And yeah, I'll agree with that hundred percent. And it's like you said in the beginning. And the one reason I enjoy doing my functional medicine health coaching is that I love getting to the root cause of something. Yes, right. And you kind of have to play detective. Yes. To get to that root cause. Yeah. And it could be magnesium or it right. could be vitamin D or, yeah, that's, I think you, you and I are on the same page there. I like to read mystery novels and I like to watch mystery on TV right. and I love it in my work to be a detective too. Yeah. Like Columbo. I like to be Columbo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because people won't tell you. I, I just, this is a quick story and we'll get on, get on with it. But I, I had a lady that her hair was falling out and I'm going, Okay, so what caused the hair to fall out? Mm-hmm. What happened, and when did this start? What were you? What happened months before that? Right. You know, you have to kind of dig and dig and dig. It's like, well, I did do this round of antibiotics. I'm like, ding, 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 uh, ding. Yeah, <laughs> that makes a difference. Yeah. <laughs> well, and that's the same thing that I do. I say, okay, you started that on a. Uh, you started binging and purging when you were in high school. What was going on in high school that led you to start doing this? Or, you know, you went on your first diet when you were 15. What was happening in your life when you were 15? And those are the kinds of, you know, that's those are the stories that give you the reason why right. people do what they do. And so many, like... In the public domain, people think, oh, you must just be weak or you're lazy or you're not you know, just push away from the table and exercise more. And that's just ridiculous because most of the people I've worked with have done that and more. They've worked harder on themselves than almost anyone else I know. And yet, because of numerous reasons, whether it be their past history, their metabolism, you know, et cetera, et cetera, they're unable to get those kind of results that people expect. Good point. Good point. Before I let you go today, give us a few takeaways for the listeners as far as, you know, some signs maybe to what they should look for mm-hmm. and their, if in themselves sometimes, but also in their, in their children. Oh, okay. Sure. I think that's really important, breaking the cycle of, you know, eating disorders and, and the same for addictions. So, you know, if you have a child who has had a difficult life to start, like some of the people in my family, that some of the children in my family have already had divorces and have had people die. They've had, you know, other 
difficult experiences, then your child may show up as acting out. They may have trouble in school. They may be being bullied or they may be bullies. So look at what your child is going through and see if you can identify you know, a way to uh, help them regain stability. Because the most important thing about all of these addictions we're talking about, whether it be to food or to a substance, is again, identifying that root cause and getting help for it. And I know when you get the help for it, you'll be able to make the changes that you want to make in your life. So I just like to encourage people, there is hope. You don't have to give up hope. You don't have to fit in one body type. And what's most important is clearing your life of these issues so that you can really be who you were meant to be, you know, fulfill your own life potential. Yeah. And, you know, I I like to say, just do you, but that's a, a real thing. You got to let some of this stuff go and, and move on because you can't, you can't, yesterday's past. Yeah. Tomorrow's the future. The only time we have is right now. So just do you Yeah. and work on, you know, it's, it's, it's sad that we live in a culture today that, you know, is so, uh, it's actually mean. Yeah. Mean and cruel. Right. It's surprising how mean and cruel people have become in our country. Yeah. So, but yeah. I, I do, I do think that there are a lot of women and men who are suffering because of food and body image issues. And yep. I think just reach out, you know, reach out. There is help available. And I have, all the links will be in the show notes, including how to get your book. I, I, what is the best way to buy your book? I bought them on Amazon. Is that the best way I to find your book? A, that's the best way okay. to buy. And, and I just want to say for listeners of your show, if anybody is identifying with the, you know, binge eating or food addiction, et cetera, I do offer a free consult. So okay. if you message me, and if you just want me to give you some advice or resources, I'm happy to do that. And I've done that for hundreds of people at no charge to you. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. I appreciate that. And I'm sure everybody else does as well. All right. Before I let you go, first of all, uh, I know this is going to be live after Christmas, but Merry Christmas to you. Thank you. And happy Thank holidays. You. And I, Same I to know you. San Diego is kind of hard to get in a Christmas spirit. Right. But uh, it's still a beautiful town. I have my tree up anyway. Yep. <laughs> also, if Carolyn had an hour or, th- I'll say, 30 to 45 minutes to kill, mm-hmm. what album or artist would you put on to listen to? Whoa. I'm still in love with Hotel California. Oh, nice. From, from the Eagles. I yeah. love that, you know, the guitar riff yep. in there. That's one of my favorites of all time. Yeah. You're close to, well, where are you in, out there? In, San Diego. Okay, you're in San Diego proper. So Hotel California is right across this, the bay from you, yeah. right? Is that Hotel Coronado, you that, mean? I think the Hotel Dell was the Hotel Curl. Is oh, that is what, that right? I, I didn't thought that's know where that. they based it off of. Oh, you may be right. I didn't know that. Wow. I, I have to go back and look now. That, but I thought okay. even when I was out there, I was like, this is where the Eagles based the song off of. It's a oh. hotel. Del, yeah, well, but, the Hotel Del Coronado is is epic no matter yeah, what. It's, it's so incredible. Yeah. Fascinating. So, yeah. yeah, so the Eagles. All right, good. Hotel, <laughs> and actually, they're doing that. They're on a tour. They're getting ready to tour with that album. Are they? They're going to do, and I forgot who's taking 
what's his name's place? Uh, shame on me for getting. Was it who passed away? Was it Glenn Fry? I can't. Don't yeah, ask can't me. I'm, I'm horrible with those kind of things. <laughs> but they're doing that whole album cover to cover on tour. Wow, I'll have to look for that. Yeah, and they're, mm. I, the very first two dates are in Atlanta here. Mm, okay. Yeah, but I, the tickets are a little pricey for my blood. Oh, is that right? It's like four hundred dollars yeah. for cheap seats. Whoa. Yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I'll put well, the album on. <laughs> I still have my album. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> there you go. We're, we're dating ourselves using the term album. Oh, yeah. We Believe should be me. talking about Spotify instead. <laughs> yeah, Spotify or Apple uh, uh, Apple Music. Yeah, or, yeah exactly. <laughs> my, my son is a big music producer in the hip-hop genre. So oh, really? He's, yeah, he's also tr- uh, giving me lots of... Uh, Newer songs to listen to, so okay. I'm trying to get into some of the more modern songs. Not be stuck in the '60s. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, the '60s were good though. Oh yes, they the were. '70s were better. <laughs> yes, they were. So, all right, thank you very much. Thank I you so much. Appreciate you for Tom. taking the time to be with me today, and I appreciate you and your patience for waiting to come on. And I appreciate you being on here. Oh, I appreciate your having me. I'm really looking forward to All right, much about love. the show. Same to you. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining in today with the Rebel Health Coach, Tom Underwood. And be sure to subscribe to the show so you can catch all the episodes. With desire and commitment, you can implement a lifestyle of wellness and fitness. For the support, encouragement, and tools you need to be successful, visit TomUnderwood.net.